continuing in our famous last word series, and we got to part number four today uh, of, uh, of our series. And I've really enjoyed this series, and I've really enjoyed just some of the things that we've been talking about. And it's really brought me back into a place where I realized that God is wanting so much more out of me than sometimes that I give to him. Well, I've got a question for you today. I want to ask you, why are you at this theater today? Why are you here today? For, for many of you, it's because this is your church and you believe uh, that it is a command of, uh, of Jesus and it's uh, essential to, to live this life of faith, to come together and join and gather with other believers, other followers of Jesus and, uh, and worship God together. Um, so some of you, 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 you may have been here because maybe you're church shopping and uh, you're looking at, uh, at churches maybe that you can get connected into. Others, it's because you just feel obliged, like, oh, I've got to come to church. And some of you, it may be because you've been invited by somebody else. But I want to ask you today, why are you here today? You know, last July we moved house and we moved about mile and a half away from the house that we were at. And we always shopped at Giant. I was a Giant snob. I wouldn't shop anywhere else. I only liked Giant. I knew where everything was in Giant. I liked the products that they had. And so we did all our shopping at Giant. Well, we moved a mile and a half. And immediately, as soon as we moved, Giant became an inconvenience for me. Uh, You know, I loved about Giant. And every time I go past, I'm like... my giant. But now I shop at Safeway. I don't like Safeway. I think they're expensive. Uh, I can't find anything when I get there, but they are convenient because they're right around the corner for me. Now, if I had a choice of where to shop, I would always shop at Wegmans because Wegmans is awesome and Wegmania, I'm just like, I love it. You know, I mean, it's like, but the problem with Wegmans, it is way out of my way and I will always spend way too much money because they have the most awesome British section and just for a can of Heinz baked beans which costs like 30 pence in the UK which is like 50 cents costs like 250 at Wegmans but I love it but if I was to really think about it the best place for me to shop and do my shopping my grocery shopping any other shopping is a place that I love hate relationship with it's called Walmart it's like so we, we lived in Springfield, Missouri for two years uh, 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 when we first got married. And in Springfield, Missouri, it is like the Walmart capital of the world. In this town, this city is like in the middle of nowhere. It has about 150 people, 150,000 people in this town. And there are at least eight super Walmarts. I mean, it's ridiculous. Like everywhere you go, there is a Walmart. There's a good Walmart and a bad Walmart. There's There is stinky Walmart and a nice clean Walmart. But whatever, I have this love-hate relationship with Walmart, and this is why. Because you can find anything you want at Walmart, but the place just stinks. I mean, I hate it. It's like, it doesn't look good. I don't feel good going in there. I always get agitated, but it's got everything I ever want. And have you ever noticed as you walk into Walmart, there is always somebody at the very front, and they've got this big old badge on them, and it says... Can I help you? Now, how many of you, when you go into Walmart, immediately go to that person and say, can you help me? How many of you go and just try to find it yourself? Yeah, that's me. 
So this is, this is what I do. I go into Walmart. Uh, I, I don't always know where everything is. I will go and I will walk the whole aisles of Walmart. I will spend 30 minutes trying to find it. And then I'll go back to the lady with the can I help you badge and say, can you tell me where this is? Instead of just going up to her straight away. Well, that's kind of what I feel my job is. I feel like this morning, that's my role this morning. I'm wearing this big badge that says, can I help you? Can I help you? I want to ask you a question this morning. What, as you came into this place today, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? That may seem like a redundant question to many of you today. Probably thinking, duh, I'm in church. I'm like, I'm looking for Jesus, man. Some of you, you may have come in, it's like, well, actually, I'm looking for a spouse. You know, because that's where, greatest place in the world to meet a spouse is church, right? But I ask you today, what are you looking for? You know, Jesus asked this exact same question. Somebody, a very special lady on his last ever written account with her. And I want us to pick up this account and find out exactly why Jesus asked this question. So if you have your Bible this morning, if you want to turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And we're going to begin reading at verse 11. John chapter 20 and verse 11. It says there, it says, Mary, who was known as Mary Magdalene, this wasn't the Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, was standing outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting uh, uh, at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been laying. Dear woman, why are you crying, the angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said. If you have taken him away, tell me where he is, where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried, Rabbani, which means in Hebrew, teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for having yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them this message. So here, we've got a lady called Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene knew Jesus. I mean, if anyone knew Jesus, it was Mary Magdalene. She did some strange things when, she was, uh, when, when Jesus was around. The Bible tells us at one point Jesus was in a house and she came and got expensive perfume. She knelt down at the feet of Jesus and she poured perfume on Jesus. Then she started crying at the feet of Jesus. The tears hit Jesus' feet and then she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. Now, I'm telling you, is that weird or what? 
I mean, come on. I mean, if someone comes up to you in Walmart, well, it may happen in Walmart. If someone came up to you in Wegmans and then they started to come and they poured perfume on your feet and they started crying and wiping their hair all over you, you'd be like, security, help me, please. Like, get this person away from me. But she did this. This was the woman who did this. And everybody ridiculed her. But Jesus was like, what she is doing is a good thing. This woman was a woman who was a great sinner. She committed a lot of sins, and we don't have to go into details today about the sins that she committed. But she committed a lot of sins, and Jesus forgave her of those sins. She'd come from a life of sin into a life of life and joy and happiness. She's a woman who knew Jesus, and she followed Jesus. Her life was all about Jesus. So two days after Jesus has died, she goes to the tomb in her grief, and she finds the body of Jesus is gone. And let me ask you today, how many times in your life do you often turn to Jesus, turn to God, turn to faith, and you find God is not where you thought he was? That's what happened for this woman, Mary. She went to see Jesus, but Jesus was not at the place that she thought Jesus was at. So Mary is met by two angels, and they ask her a question, why are you crying? Now I'm thinking about this, I'm like, okay, I go into a tomb, the body's gone, and two angels are in there. Now for me, suddenly I'm forgetting about the body, I'm like, uh, can anyone see the angels at all? But not this woman, Mary. Mary just totally just ignores the angels. And they say, why are you crying? And what I've discovered is that this woman was in despair. And that is because when God isn't where you thought he was, tears of despair will always come. If God is not in the place that you think God is, then you think life is hopeless. And there is nothing worse in life than despair. To, to be separate, uh, separate from God always brings despair. If in your life you are separated from God, no matter how good life gets, there will always be despair. And without God, there is no hope for tomorrow. And when despair for today is greater than your hope for tomorrow, life becomes very dark And very difficult. So this last week, I took my first trip to California. I'll be honest, it's a surprise I actually came back. I mean, it's beautiful. The place is amazing. Southern California, it's like I didn't see a cloud in the sky for three days. The sun shone, and I just felt happy. And, and so the question, I, I, when I, I was speaking with some different people, different pastors and leaders who actually like live in Southern California, Orange County, California. And I, and I asked them, I said, uh, is it all, does it always feel as good as it feels right now? And they're like, yeah, it does. And I'm like, do you like miss the seasons? They're like, well, yeah, sometimes, but. Hey, it's beautiful weather all the time. And so this place is just beautiful. And if you've ever been to Southern California, you know it is clean. It is beautiful. There's palm trees everywhere. The sun is always shining. You've got the mountains on one side. You've got the sea on the other. And everybody's beautiful. And it's just wonderful. 
I even passed like a Ferrari dealership and a Maserati dealership. And it was just like, I want to live here. But I can't afford to live there. So I'm not. It's a beautiful place to live. You know, a couple of weeks ago, the son of a pastor of a very large church in Southern California. If I was to mention the guy's name, you probably, majority of you would know who he is. He's the author of, uh, of a lot of books. And he's very rich, very well off. Has a, a church that is just growing by the thousands. Living out his God-given purpose in life. His son, a couple of weeks ago, took his own life. And it comes out that his son had been struggling with just deep, dark depression for years after years after years. And I'm thinking, you live in the most beautiful place in the world. I mean, it really was nice. Your dad is one of the most successful people in the Christian faith. You have everything that you want. You have everything that you need. You see lives being changed constantly by the good news of Jesus. Yet you got to a point in your life when despair got so bad that you had to take your own life. It's because when the despair for today is greater than your hope for tomorrow, life becomes dark and difficult. And this is exactly what happened to Mary Magdalene. Her despair for in that moment was greater than her hope for tomorrow. For they had taken Jesus and God was not in the place that she thought God was. And she didn't know how to find God. There's no worse place in this world than not knowing how to find God. You know that you, you need to find God. You know that you need God in your life. But not knowing how to find him, there is no worse place in this world to be. You can live in Southern California. You can live in San Diego. You can live in the Maldives, in the Bahamas. You can have all the money in this world. You can have everything going right. But if you cannot find God, then that's despair. And so Mary Magdalene, in the midst of her despair, we see right here in John chapter 20, she turns around and she sees a man and it was Jesus. But she did not recognize Jesus. And one thing, though, I have learned is that over the years of being in this Christian faith, of walking this journey of following Jesus, one thing I have learned, that even though God may seem so very far away, in fact, He is always there, right beside us. But the problem is, most of the time, we don't even recognize that Jesus is there. And this is what happened to Mary Magdalene. She thought Jesus was the gardener. She thought Jesus was the gardener. Think about this for a moment. She knew Jesus more than anyone else. I mean, when you've wiped someone's feet with your hair, I think you can say, I I know that person. She had a close relationship with Jesus. She knew who Jesus was. She knew every wrinkle on Jesus' face. If, I mean, did Jesus even have wrinkles? I'm not sure. But she, she knew the color of Jesus' hair. She knew the, the color of Jesus' eyes. She knew the tone of Jesus' voice. But yet in that moment of despair, she turned around and she did not recognize Jesus. And she thought he was in, he was the gardener. Think about it for a moment. 
this woman was in despair. She knew Jesus personally. And she did not recognize Jesus. How much harder then it must be for us when we are in despair for us to recognize Jesus. Just think about that for a moment. In your life, when you've gone through tough times, if a woman who knew the face of Jesus didn't even recognize him, how much harder must that be for us when we're going through difficult times, when we're going through tough times, when we can't seem to find God anywhere? And it's funny to me, Jesus turns to her, and he's just like, hey, Mary, look closer. It's, it, it's me. I'm Jesus. Get it? Remember? I was the guy who died, and now I rose again. It's like, this is what Jesus says. Woman, I don't know why he always called them woman. I'm like, you, did he say Mary? I think, he said, I think he said woman. He says, why are you crying? I mean, Think about this for a moment. He's God. He knows everything. Seems like a a pretty stupid question, to be honest. And then he asks an even dafter question, and he says, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? I mean, Jesus knew who she was looking for. It reminds me of God in in the garden with Adam and Eve. Eve. They had sinned. Realized they were naked. They put some leaves around different parts of their body. And then they hid from God. And God comes and says, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? I mean, it seems like a a stupid question because God knows exactly where they were. And Jesus knew exactly why Mary was crying and exactly who she was looking for. But sometimes God asks questions in order for us to start to realize why we are crying, why we are searching, why we are in despair. And when we start to realize, we're like, uh, really there was no reason to be in that place. There's always a purpose why Jesus asks a question. And he may be asking you the same question today. As you come into this place, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? You know, in this thing, in this story that we see, Mary shows us two pitfalls that often comes into our lives. When it relates to God and it causes us more despair. First one is this. Mary was a traditionalist. Mary was a traditionalist. You may think that there's no woman further from being traditional than Mary. I mean, come on. She, she poured expensive perfume on a man's feet. And she cried and wiped his feet with her hair. That, nothing traditional about that. But yet this woman was a traditionalist. You know, so often, especially in Christianity think, and and in church, we think that traditional people are the ones who say, this is how it's always been, and so this is how it's always going to be. But that isn't actually true. Traditional people can be new Christians as well as old Christians. Traditional people can use methods that were used years ago, or they can have contemporary relevant methods. They can sing the songs like we do. They can have lights, and they, they, they can have catchy sermons, and, you know, just dress down and not have to wear a three-piece suit. They can be traditional people as well. Because this is what a traditionalist is. 
in the eyes of God. A traditionalist is the one who keeps on trying to find Jesus in the last place that they saw him. I'll say that again. The traditionalist is the person who keeps trying to find Jesus in the last place that they saw him. For Mary, the last place she saw Jesus was at the tomb. And she was trying to find Jesus, so she went back to the tomb. You know, I grew up in church. I'm just some church student. We sang some pretty bad songs in the 80s, let me just tell you. You know, we had some good times in church, but there were some pretty bad songs. And I could give you a repertoire, but I don't think you'll all come back. But you know what I find myself doing? And this is why I do it alone. I don't do it with other people. But when I'm in times of despair, I find myself back in 1995... And for those of you who don't grow up in church, you don't probably even know this. But I grew up in, uh, back in 1995, and I'm singing Shout to the Lord, or, or a whole darling Czech repertoire. I'm singing these 80 songs that I grew up with that I just can't stand, but suddenly they start coming out. Do you know why? Because it takes me back to a time where I knew I was face-to-face with Jesus. I had my life changed by Jesus, and I keep trying to go back to that place in the times of despair, but yet I sing them and nothing happens. It's like, God, where are you? I'm singing shouts to the Lord. You should be here. But it doesn't happen. And I had one of those epiphanies when I was 18 years old. One of my dad's friends was being ordained to the Church of England. The Church of England is uh, part of the Anglican movement. Uh, it's, uh, if you've ever gone into an Episcopal church, that's part of the Anglican movement. Very different to what we do here on a Sunday morning. Very different. And very traditional, very, they do things very, you know, just different. So we sat in this service. I listened to this, this guy's sermon. It was 12 minutes the sermon was. So I timed it because I wanted to get out of there. But uh, it was 12 minutes. And he used more words that I did not understand in those 12 minutes than what I did understand. I mean, it was just like, what is this guy? And then they, they uh, repeated prayers. They didn't like pray with their eyes closed that I was used to. They opened their eyes and they read their prayers. Then they had communion, and it was weird because we all went to the front, and then the, like, the priest and the minister did some things to us. And, and, uh, and then they gave us like the strongest wine I've ever tasted in my whole life. I mean, like I was like knocked out. I mean, I'm serious. And it was the most uncomfortable experience in my life because it just wasn't what I was used to. But they were singing a hymn. And let me, I'll be honest, most of the hymns were just like, I, I just couldn't feel anything. You know, I mean, I like to like get into things. Couldn't feel anything. But during this one hymn, suddenly, I was singing this hymn, and it's like God came down. I had a God moment. I mean, it was just unbelievable. I felt God as much in that place, even if not more in that moment, than I had in all my other loud experiences, things that I'd been used to. And the epiphany was this, is that, Wherever you are, God is right there beside you. And no matter what you're going through, you can have a God moment right there. And 
Just because you experienced God years ago, just because you experienced God yesterday in a place, it doesn't mean that you're going to go back to that place and God is going to be there. And I think the biggest mistake we as Christians do is believe that because God was in a method or in a place or in a song, He will always be there. You know, Jesus told His disciples, follow me. And that means for them, when Jesus moved, they moved. When Jesus stayed, they stayed. And some of you are looking for Jesus, but you keep going back to the place that you last saw him. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news this morning, but he probably isn't there. And if you get there and find that God isn't there, you'll be in despair, just like Mary. Mary was a traditionalist. The second thing that Mary had going against her was she had her theology all wrong. And the word theology, I'll just explain what that means to you today. Very simple. It means the, uh, the, the, the study of God. So if someone says to you, what is your theology? It's basically, what is your understanding of God? And she had a totally wrong understanding of Jesus. I believe understanding the ways of God is one of the most important things you can do to be a follower of Jesus. If you want to be an electrician, you have to understand how electricity works. Otherwise, you won't be an electrician for very long. If you want to be a plumber, you have to understand how piping works and how the flow of water works. If you want to be a tax accountant, you have to understand how the IRS works. And good luck with that one, by the way. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you need to understand God. And if Mary had understood God, she would have never been in despair like she was in. She was was looking for the Jesus she had seen. She was looking for the dead Jesus. She was looking for a dead body. And so often we're the same. We're looking for a Jesus that isn't even there anymore. And then we don't recognize Jesus because we don't think he's in the place that we're in. Mary thought Jesus was the gardener. She thought he was the gardener. And for many of us, we go through situations and we think God isn't even there. I got a friend who about four years ago came to faith in Jesus Christ. This friend had a real bad back. And they were in despair because they didn't know what to do. Surgeons had tried everything. So the last thing that they did, they decided to try God. And the amazing thing is, is this person came into church, gave their life to Jesus, and God healed their back. And it was amazing for two years, two, three years, they were just so into church, that family. They went to church, they had struggles, but they went to church. They started tithing, they were volunteering. They were so committed to church because God had done this awesome, wonderful thing in their life. And then after about three years, things started going wrong once again. The back got bad once again. 
other things in their life fallen apart. So what do they do? They did exactly what they did in the beginning. That, that They went for prayer and they wanted to get prayer. They believed that God was going to take care of everything like they did before. But you know what? God doesn't always work the same as he did before in different situations. God has reasons for doing what God does and God did not heal this back. God did not take away their problems. And in the midst of all this, they started asking the question, is God even there? Is God even there? Does God love me? Is God even in my life? Does God even care about me? I'm not even sure if I pray that I'm praying to a God. And the problem was, it wasn't that God hadn't healed the back. The problem was, it was a wrong theology of God. It was that God is going to do everything I say. When in fact God has reasons for doing different things. And I want to show you very quickly in the Bible. Just, just a, a, an account where this exact thing happened. It's found in, in the book of First Kings. Which is like a, a quarter of the way or a third of the way through the Old Testament. First Kings in chapter 19. There was a guy called Elijah. And if you don't know who Elijah is. He was a guy who just rained down fire from heaven. When he prayed, things happened. When, when he told things, uh, just amazing events happened. Raised people from the dead and all that crazy stuff. And then this is what happened. He's just gone through a depressive time in his life where suddenly he feels, I'm not feeling God anymore. I'm not feeling the peace of God. I don't understand. And so he runs away and he goes and hides in a cave. And then this is what it says. God asked him, what are you doing here, Elijah, in this cave? And then in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10, it says, Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the God of Israel, uh, but, the God, uh, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Isn't it funny when you're going through despair in your life, or you're going through a hard time, you think you're the only one on earth who's going through troubles? I mean, it's, it's the truth. I mean, we all think that. But the reality is, is there's millions of people in this world who are going through troubles and hard times. Sometimes we just need to lift our head a little bit and realize there are other problems in the world but ours. Just, just saying. Preaching myself as well this morning. It says this. God says, go and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. As Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Let's just pause a moment. This, is, this man Elijah. He had been used by God in incredible ways. Just a few moments before he had prayed and Fire had come down from heaven. I mean, God had revealed himself to, to uh, Elijah in incredible ways. In loud, you know, tremendous ways, showing he was an awesome God. And suddenly, God comes in a wind that was terrifying. And Elijah's like, where's God? Where's God? 
Then an earthquake happens. The earth shakes. And he's like, where's God? And then a fire comes. Exactly the same way as he had seen God move before the fire came. And Elijah is thinking, what happened to God? What happened to God? But it continues. Verse 12. It says, then he was in the earthquake. Well, God wasn't in the earthquake. But the Lord was not in the fire either. And then it says, then after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice says, what are you doing here, Elijah? We're just like this. We expect God in the wind. We expect God in the earthquake. We expect God in the fire. And when he isn't there, we are left empty thinking God has left us. But if you understand the ways of God, you have a sound theology of God. And I encourage you. That's why you should read your Bibles. Not just because it's a daily duty. Because through reading your Bible, you start to understand God. When you understand God, then you will understand there are times in life when in the place you least expected Jesus, he is there. He is there. Elijah did expect Jesus in a still small voice or God in a still small voice and he was there and Mary Magdalene she didn't recognize Jesus because her theology of Jesus gave her a wrong outlook if she had realized Jesus was the one who said I am the resurrection and the life I am the one who will raise raised from the dead if she had understood that she would have understood that the gardener was in fact Jesus But you know what I love about this story? I love the end of this story. In the middle of hearing Mary's despair, Jesus says one thing. He doesn't say, hey Mary, I'm Jesus. It's me, Jesus. He doesn't perform some wonderful miracle. He doesn't get some like concoction and like, look, there's fire. It's me. He doesn't say, look, I'm going to raise someone from the dead. You know what Jesus does? Jesus says this, Mary. That's it. Mary. He called her by her name. Mary. And in that moment, the Bible says she turned and she shouts, Rabbi, which she called Jesus. In that moment, God called her name and she had a God moment. She recognized who Jesus was. And you may be in despair today. You you may be going through some stuff in your life and you're looking for Jesus, but it's in all the wrong places. You may be left empty by your tradition or religion. You may not recognize God in your life right now, but all it takes is just God calling your name. 
And that, I believe, is what he's doing right now in this moment. He is calling your name. And when you hear your name, you will recognize that it is Jesus. And Jesus is right in the middle of that darkness, right in the middle of that difficulty, right in the middle of that decision that you're trying to make, right in the middle of of all that mess that may be going on. Mary's despair suddenly turned to joy. Her eyes were open. She no longer hung onto the place where she last saw Jesus. It wasn't like, Jesus, let's get back in the tomb. You know, that's where I last saw you. Now, her theology of Jesus no longer held her captive. For in the middle of her tears, Jesus called her name Mary. And I ask you today, what are you looking for today? What are you looking for today? I believe Jesus is calling your name. And you may have been trying to find Jesus in this book or in this uh, song or in this church or, or, or in this part of service or, 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 or in this speaker or in this preacher or in this friend or this person. And you're, you're left empty because you're just not finding Jesus. Jesus is calling your name. He's right there beside you. And you not, may not recognize Jesus like I didn't recognize him as soon as I walked into that cathedral that day. But I came out realizing that Jesus is there as well. And Jesus is calling your name. And when he calls your name, you can't help but know it's Jesus. And when you realize it's Jesus, hope for tomorrow is greater than your despair for today. Let's pray.